1: Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! Enjoy!
2: William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
3: The odd thing about a killer, folks, you'd never believe it if his gun wasn't showing.
2: The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan. In another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
3: Barry Craig speaking. The big gripe with a confidential investigator is that he has no confidential life of his own. You're on call day or night. Some jokers found your pedigree in a Manhattan telephone directory. There's a missing uncle wanted off his nuts. A double-crossing partner wanted off with the cash register. Or a tomb relic sure to set off a town war if you don't recover the same lickety-split. Oh, carve out five minutes of privacy for yourself and bet on it. Someone's at your elbow asking for a bite. The case in point began a night or so ago in the shop. Tony's tonsorial power, the gold leaf on the window, red. It was my neck. One more customer move and I'd stop looking like an unemployed violinist. But well, I never got to sit in Tony's barber chair. Fate popped into Tony's open doorway to beckon me out of the joint. You there. Craig. Fate was a guy in baggy pants, chewing an unlighted cigar. Marty Walensky, a hack driver. Hey, Craig. If you've never been shortchanged by Walensky, you haven't lived. I dragged myself over to Walensky. What's on your fat little mind? That's your jalopy outside, Craig? The dark green job? Yeah, across the street. Why? I thought it looked like your load. You got a dame in it, waiting for you. A dame? Walensky, well, what kind of a gag she are She flagged t- me at 78th and 3rd. So I know a good, reliable charmer, she asked. So here we are. I keep an office. We've been there. Now we're here. She's waiting in your jalopy. You don't want the business? Oh, I haven't seen the back of my neck for six weeks. It's my neck. On you, the long hair looks good. Listen, Craig, you can't wait. Whatever's with this, chick can't wait. As a matter of
4: fact, confidentially, she didn't even stop the dress before flagging me down.
3: Walensky wasn't too inaccurate about the lady's get-up or lack of it. Hair pinned up high like she just left off washing her ears. A mink wrap over a nightgown that slapped over satin bedroom slippers. And fear... Beer and neon lights all over a pretty face. I'm Barry Craig, Miss.
5: I'm Peggy Palmer.
3: Well, what's it about?
5: I'm not here. Drive somewhere quickly.
3: But just an idea. There
5: isn't time. I I have a feeling I've been followed. Mm. Oh, please start your car.
3: Look, Miss, this isn't a public act, and before I get involved, I want to know
6: what. Oh, what?
3: Somebody's rifle. Happy. You hurt, Miss?
6: No, no. you.
3: How does the side of my jaw look under glass?
6: You look
5: bleeding.
3: Flying glass has that effect on me. I start to gush.
5: Pull away, please, Mr. Craig, before we're murdered.
3: Later, in my office, while I kept busy with incidental washing and cauterizing, a frightened lady in mink gave me the facts. A bite at a time.
5: I live with my brother George.
3: And no love lost? No love? I'm counting the scratches on your beautiful neck.
5: Oh, my brother fought to keep me from leaving the house. Uh, George Palmer, you've heard of me?
3: Have I? Oh, yes, I have. A Sunday picture story in the tabloids. Uh, oh, help me with this adhesive. Uh,
6: uh,
3: oh, thanks. A freak get-rich-on, wasn't it? Uh, he found oil in his backyard or something?
5: He found a diary believed to be George Washington in the works of an antique wall clock.
3: Pardon my error.
5: A clock he put in a rubbish shop on 3rd Avenue.
3: It should happen to me. So what's the problem?
5: The diary's a problem. Why so? It's valuable. So cheers. No. Since the diary, our home's been a madhouse.
3: Claimants and cranks. People looking to buy it, people looking to steal it. They're the usual backwash to a Klondike.
5: Yes, all those things you say. What seemed to be a stroke of good fortune has become a nightmare.
3: Does Brother George want to sell the diary?
5: Very much, but for an enormous price.
3: Enormous, like?
5: Uh... $100,000.
3: Wow. A lot of cabbage. Any nibbles?
5: One collector, a Grant Tyler, telephoned to say he might pay that much if he could examine the diary, authenticate it. But... What? My brother wants the money in hand, in cash, first.
3: I see. The window glass on my jalopy, uh, who do I bill for it?
5: I, I don't know. Brother George? Perhaps, for anybody, Mr. Craig. Anybody? You said claimants and cranks. The usual backwash. How right you are. Anonymous phone calls. Notes in weird hieroglyphics slipped under the door. Bricks hurled from the street. Broken window glass. We've got more of it than anybody, Mr. Craig. Just come home with me and see.
3: Come on to my house, huh? Just what job do you have in mind for me?
5: Take charge of the diary. Negotiated sale to this Mr. Tyler or or somebody.
3: And how do I wrestle a diary free from Brother George?
5: You won't have to. I have the diary here with me. Hmm? I took it secretly from George's fault. A
3: hundred grand sometimes doesn't look it. I was leaping through an old battered notebook. Blow on it and it would shred into yellow confetti. Valley Forge and Bunker Hill. I could make out some of the date lines and references. Mostly personal stuff. It looks like the founding fathers beast at the end of the day. Good cheer.
5: Yes, that's what makes the diary so valuable. It isn't a history of the revolution. It's the story of the people around him, his personal relationships.
3: I say, turn it over to a museum. What? <laughs> Do that and turn your brother over to an asylum, huh?
5: Negotiate it, sale, please. End this terror.
3: What's your phone number?
5: My phone number.
3: To negotiate anything, I'll need your brother's consent. But uh, The way it stands now, beautiful, you stole the diary and I'm compounding a theft. Oh, don't fret. I'll talk to him like a Dutch uncle.
5: Foresight 2-1643.
3: Forsythe 2-1643. Hello, George Palmer.
6: Yes, this is George Palmer. This is Barry Craig, the detective.
3: Confidential investigator. Now oh, uh, try not to blow a fuse. Your sister Peggy's with me. Keep her. Generous of you, but my harem's overcrowded as it is. She's a little unnerved uh, over that diary. I want you to authorize me to negotiate the sale of the diary, the biggest buck possible, and I don't want a cent.
6: No.
3: Try being reasonable, Palmer, or all the diary will get you is a diamond-studded straightjacket. You? What's happening? I'm going to be murdered. Something happened to my brother. You just inherited a George Washington diary. Oh, no. Let's go pay our last respects. George Palmer lay flat on his back. His eyes were open and calm. As if now that he was dead, the furies had left him. Two bullets fired close to the head.
7: The diary has been here. Take that, do it. Don't
3: a... borrow guilt, Peggy. Your departure with the diary had nothing to do with nothing. Your brother was chilled first. Then came the search. Keep puffing those eyes, and you'll need a seeing eye dog to lead you around.
5: I, I can't help feeling miserable.
3: No, you had a brother, and now you haven't. It's something to get used to.
5: Dead. And only an hour. He's so
3: clawing it. at your throat. It's a bereavement, sure, and I don't want to be unsentimental.
5: Ask you
3: a question. Is this that antique wall clock your brother found the diary in?
5: Yes.
3: I worry about myself on rickety chairs, but that's the only way to see the inside of this clock. Hmm. Clock's older than thin, that's for sure. In good running on it? Why,
5: yes, I believe so.
3: The, uh, sales receipt for the clock. Do you have it?
5: Yes. George uh, so it kept it here in his
3: desk. A wall clock in running condition, $25. Sold to George Palmer. Company? Got any idea who?
1: No.
3: I'll play butler. Who is it? Telegram
1: for Miss Palmer.
3: Let's help. Have... Halloween was
1: last week, mister. Your hands raised, please. Thank you. You too, Miss Palmer.
3: I've been stuck up by a lot of guys. All kinds and shapes. But this one was in a class all by himself. Short and petite. A waxed mustache with a comical full man shoe slant at the end. White gloves and a morphine formal tuxedo. Two sizes too big for him. The gad he was holding was something else for the books: Percussion flintlock. An antique type you only see in a museum case, where the card reads, Relic of the War of the States. I watched him sniff around the room a little, and then come back to us.
1: The George Washington diary. You will please give it to me, Miss Palmer.
3: The, the diary! He hasn't got it, friend. No? Back up two feet and say hello to a stiff. Uh, he, he, he? Is George Palmer? Was. Oh, dear. Whoever gave him those twin preparations of the skull took off with the diary. Is, is the truth, Miss Palmer? I, yes, it, it, it's the truth, of course. <laughs> of course not. The knife sticks in your throat. If it's only a prominent Adam's apple. Give her a complex about that, and you'll see find. George Washington Diary. Give it to me. To give you what we haven't got, we'd have to be magicians. <laughs> Even to live, you'd have to be magicians. So, it comes down to that. You have one minute. That uh, hunk of museum cast iron that can do the work of a gun? You see. Yeah, boom, boom, and where did the world suddenly go? <laughs> Funny thing, I, I can't wait to see. I'm that curious. Curious? Uh huh. I know about guns. Times get tough in my business. I can be a gunsmith if I live. Uh, I... Uh, this is idiotic quibbling. I'm coming to a decision. My hunch is that what it takes to load that museum piece isn't around anymore. Nobody manufactures it. Nobody sells it. The minute is gone. My hunch is that you're bluffing, friend, applying the old psychological squeeze. What if I just begin moving? Hey, you'll don't. Don't bury me on the side of a hill, beautiful. I hate sleeping lopsided.
5: Please, nothing foolish, nothing heroic. Give him the diary.
3: My life's against it, beautiful. Give it to a runt in white gloves and a baggy tuxedo, I'd have to disown myself. I'm coming over, no, friend. Stop.
1: Stop, you fool. I'll shoot. I'll shoot. Let me go.
3: Sure. But when you're out, on life. Get a little more. I'm like, oh. The smallest man in the world can be the most tenacious. This one fell apart in slow motion. Before giving up, his thumb gouged my eye a little, and his teeth made a meal of my arm. Before coming to, we had to throw him into a bathtub tub of water. He was out as cold as that. Keep an eye on him, beautiful. Besides, him, only can wash down the drain pipe. The answers finally rung out of him still add up to the zaniest of my experiences.
6: I'm um, Stephen Courtney
1: Bellows.
3: Before, As long as the name can get.
1: And my great grandfather was the Stephen Courtney Bellows, intelligence captain in the army of, of the Revs <laughs> His <Your> Sunday. <laughs> he was accused of spying for the British. I'm <laughs> mister Craig. It's an infamous slur against a great man. Rough. Even now. I have a petition before the President of the United States demanding that he restore the good name of my great ancestor.
3: Which brings you to the diary?
1: Yes, I, I wanted to examine
6: it. Mm-hmm. If
1: George Washington wrote things that reflect well of my great ancestor, I want this information shouted from the rooftop.
3: And if General Washington call your great ancestor a skunk? Then the diary must be suppressed. The
1: infamous lie must not be repeated. It must not...
3: One question, Bellows. Yes? What lunatic asylum do you call home? Harbor Heights.
6: Mm.
1: Uh, but I was detained there on just then. It, it was all part of an in, 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 in.
3: An escaped lunatic in a monkey suit, armed with an old dueling pistol. <laughs> About the pistol, it turned out my hunch was cockeyed. It was loaded.
5: You could have been killed.
3: If the gun didn't backfire. But
5: I can't understand. Why didn't he shoot?
3: His reflexes wouldn't reflex. <laughs> he was so hoodooed watching me behave like a suicide, he couldn't get up the coordination. It took to blast away.
5: Oh, I'm glad he couldn't. So glad.
3: Are you so glad? Yes. You say that like... You know something? What, Barry? Keep twinkling those eyes at me, and I'll climb right up on that white cloud with you.
5: And Barry. I...
3: Go so sailing over the moon.
5: Oh, I love sailing over the moon.
3: A little later, over ham steaks and coffee in the Midtown Hofbrau, Peggy and I batted the case around with Lieutenant Trav Rogers. Just a few more facts, Craig. That is, if you can spare them. Well, uh... You know about all there is. I know you gave me exclusive custody of a corpse and a lunatic. Show more respect, Trav. Fellow's great grandfather I've couple... already had the pedigree up to my ears. I want the diary, Craig. Who doesn't? You'll have to get on the end of a long line. You, uh, won't surrender it? By court order? By police request. No can do. And our reason? It's the property of my client here. Sacred to my keeping. I asked your reason. Thanks. Diaries, the honey that draws the flies. While I've got it, it's open season on Barry Craig. Someone may come calling with a gun, and voila, I I'll catch me a murderer. Or catch a bullet. All right. It's your life. Squander it any way you like. Good night, Miss Palmer.
5: Good night, Lieutenant. <laughs>
3: With the good lieutenant off muttering to himself and Peggy off tending to whatever it is girls tend to, I made like a negotiator. Grant Tyler, a guy with $100,000 worth of interest in an old notebook, was a guy well worth cultivating. Hello? Hello. I want to talk to Grant Tyler. This is
6: Grant
3: Tyler. Barry Craig, uh, representing the Palmer's. That cash offer of $100,000 for the George Washington Diary, does it still hold good?
6: It does, providing, of course, that I can first examine the diary.
3: I'll bring it right over. If you like. What's the shortest route to your place? Up
6: Cohegan Boulevard,
3: the third traffic light past Forest Park. Third traffic light. I've got it. Be seeing you, (laughs) Tyler. Second traffic light past Forest Park. I got the stop signal, a hand signal. A guy in a blue uniform. Traffic cop or a fireman or a parcel delivery messenger. In the dark, he looked like all three of them. You were going 60, pal. The gas pedal jammed. Are you a traffic cop? No. No? Then what the uh uh-uh, uh don't get impolite, pal. No. I'd be a dope too. Do. So it's a stick-up. Surprise. Forty bucks is all I've got. You'll never make from you. that'll keep your wallet in your pocket. Now, drive into the park. All I want is your company. Into the park, pal. A closer look at the uniform, and I knew it. A $4 rental in any theatrical costume shop. I'd been stuck suckered. Our destination in the park was a shadowy side road. On the green, Buster got down to cases. Let's have it, pal. It? The George Washington diary. Oh, you know about it. Hand it over. Just like that, huh? Cigarettes? Starling can't do you no good. Can I help it if I'm a dedicated chain smoker? Oh, matches. I'm out of them. You, Buster? Uh, here. Thanks. Ah. You can face the future now. Give me the diary. Or do you still want to clown around? No, no, the diary. Here it is. From me to you without love. Uh, who are you working for, Buster? Two kids and a blind grandmother. Mind if I borrow your car? Help yourself. Thanks, sport. Now turn around. Must you? It's a compulsion with me, pal. I'll cash in this diary and go get analyzed. Promise? My word of honor. <laughs> It took a long time for the balloon to drift down from outer gravity and settle back on my shoulders. When I was finally used to owning a head again, I had a cab drop me at Tyler's. I'd meet up with the baloney cop again if the cover of his matchbox I'd connived was any help. Moriarty's Bar and Grill, the cover said. I'd be haunting the place. Yes? Barry Craig. Oh, you're late. Sorry, I was detained. Well, we'll have to do this another night, Craig. I've no time left for you now. Tough. Can I come in a minute? <clears throat> well, I see no point in Thought you were an Americana collector crazy to buy the diary. I am, but uh... But I haven't got it to sell, and you know I haven't got it. That's why the brush now. You're speaking nonsense. Am I? I was detained, I said, by a hood who struck me up with a diary. I know nothing about it. Then what do you know? Talk and act responsibly, Tyler. George Palmer was murdered earlier tonight. George Palmer was murdered? If you didn't know it, talk to me, Tyler. Well, after your telephone call, Mr. Holland telephoned me. The junk dealer who sold Palmer the antique wall clock? Yes. Holland said he'd have the diary for me, and could he come over right away, tonight? And you said yes? Well, I'd be a fool or not to. Holland's price is only 10000 And 10 years for receiving stolen goods? Holland claims to be the rightful owner, that he merely sold Palmer a clock. Even so, you'd still buy a lawsuit? That's much of a risk I'm willing to take. Hollins engaged lawyers. Offered to guarantee me against loss. Hollins, due here tonight, you say? Any minute now. You'd you better go. No, I'd better stay where I can listen and not be seen. Oh, hear me. Be. Park behind the draper, Mr. Craig. You'll lose the argument, Tyler. so don't argue, huh? I got an airfall. Holland looked and sounded like a guy ready, willing and able to set fire to his junk shop and to himself.
1: You don't have the diary, Mr. Holland? No, I came to tell you no. But you assured me. Something went wrong. But give me one day, Mr. Tyler. One day and I will get you that diary. One day and I will finish the transaction, I promise. I only have to get my hands on a
5: no-good double-crossing rat.
3: A no-good double-crossing rat. Oh, my friend in the park. Buster'd been working for Holland until he branched out for himself. Moriarty's bar and grill was a sewer joint. Open a manhole and drop in. Twenty minutes in it, and Peggy was gasping for air. Oh,
5: I can't stand much more of this place, Barry.
3: You won't have to. Surprise. You see him? Mm-hmm. He sees me. And making like to come over here. With the, the gong. Hi, pal. The name's Barry Craig. I'll sit with the law. <laughs> I just figured out how you got to Moriarty's. Did you? Yeah, uh, cute gimmick. Conning me out of that matchbox. Your car keys. Car's parked on a corner. Thanks for the loan. Don't mention it. Oh, I almost forgot. The, the diary. You'll be wanting that back. Yeah. A change of heart? Yeah. I'm a regular Jekyll and Hyde. Half of me wants to go straight, the other half gets out of line. Sad. How worthless did you find the diary to be? Hey, you're smart, Craig. Smarter than one guy's got a right to be. You approached Grant Tyler with the diary? Yeah, I approached Tyler. He checked it through with a spyglass, page by page, and then threw it back at me. It wasn't worth the plug nickel, he said. The diary isn't worth it. Don't take it so hard, lady. You've got the diary in a grab bag. But
5: my brother...
3: Oh, yeah... That. What about that, uh. The... You can't pin it on me. No? I'm far higher, but I'm not a torpedo or a fall guy. Whoever murdered Palmer wasn't me. Uh, can I go now? No. For coming clean like I have? You give me a break. Make out like we never met. No.
6: Sawhead, so huh?
3: Yeah, I'm the compulsive type. But I'll go get analyzed after I even up the score. <laughs> With Buster nursing his jaw in the pie wagon, I went cruising with a beautiful lady. Uptown, town, downtown, watching the lights go out.
5: Dawn's coming up.
3: Yeah, for me too.
5: Do you too
6: bad?
3: Dawn. You get drugged by night, you can't see a foot ahead of you. You're too busy listening to the thump of your heart. Especially with a beautiful bay blowing stardust at you.
5: (laughs) Mary, you're talking all mixed up.
3: I'm always confused before I'm clear. That wall clock was sold in running order. Holland's sales receipt guaranteed running order. Oh? Your
5: mind's on the case?
3: On a corpse. The clock couldn't be in running order, not with a notebook hidden in the woods.
5: But now you're contradicting.
3: Stay with me, baby. When I examined the clock, it wasn't running. The mechanism had been injured. It wasn't running. Yet it was when Holland sold it to your brother.
5: Does that mean something?
3: It means that someone planted a diary in the clock after George Palmer carried it home from Holland. Am I clear?
5: <laughs> no, not to me.
3: A phony diary not worth its weight in paper sets off a chain reaction of cranks, canaries, and grabbers. Everybody went for the gang.
5: George too. It got him his life.
3: Yes, George too. The question I'm asking is, who could or would plant a worthless diary in a wall clock?
5: Who could or would?
3: Only somebody who wanted George Palmer murdered, but not for the diary. How long was your brother dead before I called him up?
5: Barry, well, you're out of your mind. You heard George shot. I was
3: with you when you did. Don't bank too hard on the alibi, beautiful. <laughs> I heard somebody shot, but it didn't have to be George. Anybody could have called himself George Palmer with me, especially over the telephone. Anybody. Or, say, uh, Grant Carla, Staging a phony murder so you could blow stardust in my eyes. Make me your iron alibi.
5: We're... We're stopping...
3: End of the road, beautiful. Police headquarters. I don't suppose you want to tell me your motive. <laughs> Insurance, I guess it to be. You're the lucky beneficiary. Those nights riding a white cloud, beautiful. You and I'll never see them again. Yeah, dawn's really come up. It's broad daylight now. <laughs> Good night, folks. See you next week.
2: You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, Dead on Arrival, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story of Murder in Wax, about which Barry Craig has
3: this to say. Next week, I meet a wandering parrot screaming bloody murder, a sculptor with an amazing knack for making the dead lifelike, and a hired killer who sticks closer to me than my socks, the three put together, spell murder. See you next week, folks.
2: Featured in the role of Peggy was Arlene Blackburn. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Hard of
3: Now it's Meredith
2: Wilson's Music Room on NBC.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com.
2: William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
3: One kind of free lodging that leaves everyone cold, folks, is when it's yours. By courtesy of the City Mall.
2: The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
3: Barry Craig speaking. There's one little thing a confidential investigator has in common with a crooner or a tap dancer. Ballyhoo. You can't get enough of it. The right kind of publicity break? With pictures, naps, and your fees skyrocket. Even better than money, you promote your pick of jobs. Scoop off the cream. I wangled me a break like that. A lady reporter, Mona Gale, assigned to follow me around by the Two Life Picture magazine. An elegant redhead locking a camera and a notebook. She'd been ordered to profile me and get the story of my life from cradle to now. But the assignment had her missed, I could see. I wasn't important enough people for her.
4: Is there some point to this dreary hike you've got me on, Mr. Craig? Yeah,
3: there is. Tenement Row near the dock. America's melting pot. Out of it comes governors, songwriters, bookies. Look around you.
4: I have looked around
3: me. Then start taking notes. Garfield Place. I was a kid on this block. That rat trap there. I played stickball off the stoop. Go ahead, sister. Make with the pencil.
4: Must I?
3: Posterity will want to know. Are you naturally egotistic,
4: Mister Craig? Are
3: you naturally a snob? I'm tired. So have a seat here on the stoop. Ah, what's better than sitting? Grand view, huh? Mm, great.
4: Dirty-faced children, pushcart, squalor. Isn't there some other way of profiling you, Mr. Craig? Like? Oh, one of those celebrated cases you perform in so heroically. Couldn't I just watch you at work?
3: Sure. If I had a case, which right now I haven't. Come on, beautiful. Get the feel of this block. Imagine back to me as a kid. That kid over there reading a the comic. Now, he could be me once upon a time. How about that weird-looking boy carrying the parrot? Boy carrying a what? Parrot. Well, yes, what do you know? The kid is carrying a parrot.
4: And coming this way, too. He wants to pose for a before-and-after
3: picture with you. I,
4: hey, want to buy a
2: parrot, mister, for cheap
4: Mister.
3: I don't think so, Sonny. He yours?
5: No, I found him on a duck. Lost. He's sick? Sick? Yeah, yeah, look at the blood on his foot.
3: Yeah, it is blood. Bring him closer
7: examine
3: him for, like a doctor. Funny, the parrot hasn't been hurt. Not a scratch on him, I can see. But the blood? I'll pretend. It's human blood.
4: Human blood, Mr. Craig?
3: Yeah. Now figure that.
4: Oh, if only the parrot could talk. Hey, Fox, God, watch. Hey, go
5: ahead, you talk. <gasps> Don't shoot me. <laughs> Don't shoot me. Is that the parrot
4: talking or is the boy of <laughs> Antiochus? <Ankyloquus?
6: laughs>
3: The parrot, all right, yelling bloody murder. Sit tight, sister. You hold on to that parrot.
5: Where are you going?
3: The telephone check with Lieutenant Trav Rogers at police headquarters. I want to know what bloody corpse the parrot belongs to. Could be you will be watching me work after all. Mona got to watch me work. Over the phone, Lieutenant Trav Rogers set up a date for the parrot to be reunited with his master. The setting for the sentimental reunion was the city morgue. Roll him out, Ernie. The parrot belonged to him, Craig. Oh, steady moment. Who was he, Trav? A Vince Larimer, according to an identification card in his wallet. He was found on the docks beside an empty bird cage, shot to death by an unknown assailant. And? We traced him to a banana boat. He booked passage from Honduras to New York. Period. Period. On ship Larma kept to himself, stayed in his cabin. Uh a mystery figure, isn't that how a reporter would headline him, Miss Gale? That parrot you two chanced across was Larma's only known companion. Can I see the cage the parrot came in, Roger? If you must meddle, I'm being immortalized by True Life magazine, so please don't louse it up. This is the cage. How do you figure the parrot escaped, friend? Larma was shot, he dropped the cage, this padlock broke off in the fall, the cage door flew open, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the parrot dropped the walk, huh? No, Lieutenant, I don't think so. You don't? Not enough concussion for a padlock to snap off. Larma could only be carrying the cage a couple of feet off the ground. So? Look at the twist in the wire here. Where the padlock was originally secured. Hmm. Wire is unusually twisted. The padlock didn't break off. It was broken off, deliberately. But why would a killer stop to do that, Craig? I'm puzzled like you're puzzled. Any other personal belongings from the late Vince Lowry? Uh, Just this wristwatch, pocket knife, the silver ring. The silver wedding ring. The end? The dead end. A corpse, a parent, a few meaningless trinkets. Where would you go from here? Mr. Holmes? Oh, yes, you're working hard at lashing me up with Mona. But it so happened a detour developed in the dead end. The next morning, while I was sorting my mail over coffee and sinkers in the Crosstown Banner, and while waiting for the red-headed Mona to show up for her day's grind, the mail was the usual garbage. bills, all of them stamped final notes. Circulars advising me where to get my pants framed, where to buy my geraniums, and one circular I really stopped to read. The Starbright Park Museum of Murder, exhibits in wax. The circular entitles Barry to a 50% admission discount.
4: Good morning, Mr. Craig.
3: The ripened friendship we've got, it's time you call me Barry. With a good morning kiss. If that's how you like to start your day.
4: Hmm. Look, I was assigned to you to play Boswell, Barry, not Madame Bovary. And what prey, have you in store for me today?
3: A trip to the Starbright Amusement Park. Amusement Park? Read the circular Bargain Rate. So? Read where it says about the new wax exhibit.
4: Oh. See, the brutal murder of Vince Lorimer is so real it will startle you. Hey. Oh.
3: Vince Larimer? Our corpse of yesterday. But,
4: but, but how... How,
3: how could but... a wax exhibit already be set up for the customers less than 24 hours after the murder happened? Yes, and circulars printed. Printed and in the mail. One of them in the mail to me. You think it was purposely? I'd be a dope not to think that. I'm not only being invited to get a look at Vince Larimer being shot, but also at who is shooting him. All this in wax. It's well,
6: incredible.
3: I'm in an incredible business, Beautiful. In what other business can you get an educated redhead personally assigned to you? Starbright Park was a ramshackle amusement area a stone's throw off a public highway.
4: Well, here's your museum of murder. Those signs, shocking,
3: sensational, lurid. And closed. No ticket taker, no open door.
5: It's boarded up?
3: There's a bell here. This side door... What do you want? A word with the owner, lady.
8: I'm the owner.
3: Oh, I'm Barry Craig. This is Miss Gale. So what? I got a circular from you in this morning's mail. It's this one.
8: You and a thousand other people, mister. Everybody from A to C in the telephone directory.
3: Oh, and you didn't mean the circular especially for me?
8: Are you out of your mind?
3: Often. The circular advertises an exhibit of the murder of a man named Vince Larimer.
8: You come to prove to me you can read...
3: And also to see the exhibit.
8: Another time when we're open.
3: You're closed?
8: For safety repairs. The building department found 14 violations. Oh. Come again.
3: Wait. I want in.
8: You say that like a cup.
3: Invite us in. <laughs> Having fun, more? It's gruesome. Snyder and Ruth Gray in the hot seat. Dillinger bleeding all over Chicago's sidewalk. Why, baby, you're holding hands.
8: I get affectionate in morbid surroundings. The so Vince Larimer murder is the last one in a row, right after Bluebeard. Hit it is.
3: Some light on the subject, please.
8: I got no lights to switch on. The power battery's disconnected. Another order of the almighty building department. Here, you can use this flashlight.
6: Thanks.
3: Hey, quite a likeness.
8: Barry... The victim does look
4: like Vince Lorimer.
3: Like Lorimer posed for it. Even the clothes, the pinstripe suit. And
8: holding a cage with the parrot still in it.
3: The minutes before the actual murder, the scene's supposed to be. Uh miss, or is it madam?
8: It's Dolly, Dolly Flanders.
3: Dolly, the hooded killer holding the gun. Why the hood?
8: Well, I don't
3: get your question. Is there a head, a face under the hood? Yes, I guess there is. Model, how? How? In the likeness of the killer, I mean. In the likeness? Well, how could that be? That's the question I'm saving for later. First, suppose you raise the hood. Get in there and raise it, Dolly. Don't raise it, Dolly. Dolly! Voices jump you all the time in my business, Mona. You take it calmly. Raise as you are, Dolly. Craig? Yeah? Drop that flashlight. Try beaming it at me and... Okay, stubborn. Dolly! He shot you! No. Bullseye on the flashlight. My wrist. Dead from the concussion. Get flat on the ground, face down, Craig. And your lady friend. Be smart, Craig. From where I am, you're a clay pigeon. Get down, Mona. Horizontal, in a wax museum. Include that in the piece you're writing. I'll
4: leave it included on my
3: headstone. You, Dolly. What? This box of matches. Pick it up. Now this newspaper. I'll roll the newspaper into a torch and light it. He's slick.
8: What shall I do now?
3: The wax figure holding the gun. Stick the torch under the hood and hold it there. <laughs> Let's see how fast it melts. With the figure melted down, my gun-happy friend took one last precaution. I hate working over a guy when he's down. But you will. So you'll stay put while I leave. <coughs> reaction. The last thing I heard before being blown to bits was Mona screaming. I came around. A long night and a hundred years later, I came around. There was a face looking down on me. Pretty with red hair. Red eyes red eyes from crying, crying over me. Barry. And music, bird music, the music, Mona.
4: It's a yellow canary
8: thing. You're in Dolly Flanders' office.
3: Dolly Flanders? Dolly.
8: I'm not responsible for what happened out there. Who was he? I don't know any more than you do, Doc, like it was.
3: He didn't want me to see the face under the hood.
4: Because it was his own face, Barry. He's the man who murdered Vince Larimer.
3: Yeah, the obvious conclusion. Maybe even too obvious. Dolly. What? How come a wax exhibit here dramatizes a murder that happened only yesterday? You tell me. Don't you order your own exhibits?
8: No, I take what's shipped to me on a rental basis. So much a season.
3: Shipped to you by whom?
8: A Mr. Scala. Fernando Scala, a wax sculptor.
3: Where do I find Scholar?
8: He's got a studio in Habermeyer Flats near the railroad yard, number 179. You threw third degree in me?
3: No. How come you, a woman, run this kind of a business? Your husband, isn't he with you?
8: How'd you know I had a husband?
3: The silver wedding ring on your finger. Oh. Well,
8: coming back to your first question about me and this business. Yes? I won't be in it anymore after today. Why not? I just sold it. As is. Lock, stock, and barrel.
3: Who to?
8: Do I have to answer that, too?
3: Not if it's a secret.
8: It's no secret. Here's my copy of the bill of sale.
3: Know ye by these presents that Howard Crump, purchaser, has this day for the sum of...
8: Mr. Howard Crump thinks he's going to coin a mint run in this museum, as it should be run, so he says.
3: Won't he coin a mint? He'll starve to death. That yellow canary of yours, you ever uh, let it out of its cage?
8: Why should I do a fool thing like that?
3: Skip Expecting visitors, Dolly? Crump.
8: He haunts the place. You see, I don't cart nothing away now that he's bought the place. Come in, Crump. Dolly? Oh, excuse me. This
3: is Mr. Craig. With him is Miss Gale. How do you do? Congratulations on your purchase, Mr. Crump. Oh, you know? Yeah, Dolly was telling us. Dolly said you're convinced there's a profit in murder.
6: Hmm?
3: Oh. (laughs) That's a curious way to put it. Then you put it. Uh... Yes, I believe a wax museum
2: can be run profitably, with, of course, judicious management and promotion.
3: The underlying principle, Mr. Craig, in any business... Cut. My aching head, cut. The head I'm taking out of here is already twice the size I came in with. Coming, Mona. Outside yeah. the wax museum in a drugstore while Mona calmed her fevered nerves with a double coke. I got the cracks in my skull, glued and an iodine pomade where it lumped. After that, I telephoned police headquarters. Hello, Lieutenant Trav Rogers? Never mind painting him, Buster. A message will do from Barry Craig. Tell him to check Prince Lorimer's fingerprints with police files, pronto. Uh uh-uh. uh. They're asking more questions than I've got answers. <coughs> Like Dolly had said, the Havermeyer Flat Studio, a Fernando Scholar, wax sculptor specializing in murder, overlooked the railroad yard. A price-sized guy, Scholar, the mouth of a mustache and the look of a fox. With those trains, how can you concentrate on your wax modeling, Scholar? Even better with the trains, Mr. Craig. I am filled with a wild river. Spare me the poetry. Then, uh, for the lady. Spare her the poetry, too. All right. I say only what you want me to say. No wonder. Where do you keep your crystal ball? Crystal ball? You identified the man who murdered Vince Larimer. I identified him (laughs) murdered? You are joking. You model the victim and you model the killer. Oh, but you are surely mistaken. Am I surely mistaken? I modeled the victim, yes, from the newspaper pictures. And from the imagination also. But uh, the killer, him I did not model. You didn't, huh? Oh, just a head with no face. A head I cover up with a hood because I cannot know this face. Who telephoned you in advance of my coming, Scholar? Prime you on how to answer me. Telephone me? But I swear. Was I... it Dolly Flanders, maybe? Dolly Flanders, the owner of the museum? Dolly Flanders, the ex-owner of the museum. Oh, no, she did not telephone to me. Now, if this interview is over. I'm to scram and take Mona. Uh, my apologies for it, but I have so much work. You're a shrewd customer, Scala. Uh, thank you, Mr. Craig, for the great compliment. <laughs> there are no, uh, how you say, flies on you either. <laughs> oh, excuse me. He's told all he's going to, Mona, so let's go. Is there
4: some way of compelling the truth?
3: Yeah, a way that's a beaut, But I don't think he could stand watching it.
1: Mr. Craig. What? Mr. telephone call. It is for you.
3: Nice job of acting mystified, Scholar, over a prearranged deal. Give me the phone. Hello? Craig. You know it's Craig. Guess who this is? The guy I've got a date with, that's for sure. If you live. I won't just shoot a flashlight out of your hand the next time. Through talking? About. I'm on your tail, Craig, every minute. I followed you to Dolly's and I followed you to Scholar's. You better stop chasing around asking people questions, Craig. You better stop,
6: or else. <laughs>
3: The case began to wrap itself up with a valuable assist credited to the good Lieutenant Trav Rogers. A return message for me, left with Jake the elevator op in my office building, suggested that I meet Trav post-paced in the Marble Lawn Cemetery. But why meet in a cemetery? A favorite long-lost aunt. Rogers wants me to help dig her up. Oh, Tatchi! Hey, Tatchi! <laughs> Fred, where are you? Craig, I'm over here. The first footpath. Greetings, ghoul. What do you hear from the beyond? Read that tombstone in front of you. In memory of Sam Tracy, born 1910, died 1945. His loving wife, Dolly.
5: Dolly? Barry, Dolly!
3: Don't get into the lieutenant's act, beautiful. It's his show. Let him have the fun. But uh, not here. Somewhere over a hot cup of coffee... headstone read, Sam Tracy died in 1945. He also died in
4: 1951.
3: The same man died twice. What Roger's is saying, Mona, is that our Vince Lorimer was also named Sam Tracy once. Right. We checked Lorimer's fingerprints with police files as per your request. Larva's prints correspond to the prints we have of a Sam Tracy, a one-time thief-cracker.
4: But there is a Sam Tracy now buried in the Marble Lawn Cemetery.
3: <laughs> Mona's yet going to convert from reporter to detective. No, beautiful. Whoever's buried in Marble Lawn is a ringer. Someone's buried as Tracy, as a trick to free the real Sam Tracy. Edith, the late Vince Flellerman. That was my guess too, Barry. Great minds run on the same channels. Who said that? What was the original Sam Tracy trying to escape from? A safe robbery in 1945. Tracy made over the cash haul of $100,000 belonging to a stockbroker named Rufus Scott. The police gave up when Tracy, the the, uh, phony Tracy, it turns out now, died. Died how? In a rooming house fire while hiding out. And the 100 G? Went up in smoke. So the police thought, I mean. As did the insurance detective in the case. Insurance detective? A certain Sandy Dowell. An eager beaver in his day. Dow chased Tracy all over North America before the fire burned him out of the case and into retirement. Well, you got something you can contribute, Crane? This. Sam Tracy, alias the late Vince Larimer, was the husband of Dolly, the ex-owner of the Starbright Park Museum of Murder. I read the tombstone, too, genius. Besides, it's a matter of record that uh, Dolly Tracy... Posed as the widow in the phony burial of her so-called husband in 1945. I guess, Sally it should be the very late Lorimer's widow this morning. By divination? By a silver wedding ring on her finger. An exact replica of the one you found on the court. Ah, hmm. Well, we know a lot and we know nothing. Tracy got away clean with $100,000. Even got out of the country... Why, then, did he come back posing as a Vince Larimer? Why take that risk? And get murdered. And who released the parrot? And why? Frankly, Mona, I don't know if that's really significant. Bet on it. It is, Rogers. It's the key to our killer. All right. Where would the key fit? See, Bright Park, I'd say. Tram? Yes? Suppose I call the move. Can you bear it? If it catches a murderer. Spoken like a good cop. <laughs> Trav swallowing his pride enough to backstop me. I stormed the museum of murder. Yes? You. Close that door, Crump, quick. You, uh, the emergent. Urgent? There's a rifle happy wild man tagging after me. Where's Dolly? Packed up and gone. I've taken possession. Uh-oh. That's my rifle, man. Don't open that door. Where are you going? To your office. To telephone for help. Now, look, Craig. I can't get involved in your affairs. Craig! Quick! <laughs> Hello, hello. Dead. Now the line went dead. Someone cut your wires, Crump. Craig, you can't stay here. I'm running a business, not a headquarters. You want fri- me dead? No, but no, sure my Rifle, happy friend, finding a range. Craig, get out of here. I'll be murdered. That's not my concern. I insist you go. You want me to walk out It's a certain death? It's certain death anyhow. Staying
1: in here, cooped up in here, it's cornered. Craig, I'll be killed too. The next bullet might hit me. You're raving,
3: Crump. Well, you stay here, the room is a death trap. You look green, Crump. I'm sick as if you're suffocating. Suffocating. yes, I am. The room's close. Stifling. Close and stifling, like a cage? Yes, yes, and right. you hate cages, don't you, Crump? Uh, That's camping. why you let parrots out of cages. You can't stand seeing anything caged. Uh, no, 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 I can't see. Even say. the yellow canary. Dolly's yellow canary. The cage is here, but the canary's gone. You empty that cage too, eh, Crump? Uh, yes, yes. I can't
1: breathe. I'm suffocating. Oh! Uh, yeah.
3: Trav and I swapped postmortems and Tony, while Mona took notes. Claustrophobia, the fear of confinement. Crump couldn't stand anything in cages, All being caged or cornered himself, like I made him feel in his office. It even showed in his clothes. Baggy suits, sizes too big. Shirt open at the neck, no necktie. His clothes gave you the hunch on him. That and the bill of sale Dolly showed me. How so? Crump paid $40,000 for the Museum of Murder. $40,000 for a worthless business. Blackmail? It had to be. Dolly knew it was Crump who'd murdered her husband on the dock. She devised a cute way to make Crump pay off. But why would Crump murder... wait, wait. I think I know. Crump is really Rufus Scott, the, the stockbroker Sam Tracy robbed six years ago. Was hired to rob by arrangement. My bet is that Crump invited Tracy to come tap his face. I'll buy that, sure. The Scott firm was on the verge of bankruptcy before that robbery. And then, Tracy never got to keep the stolen $100,000. He was just a tool. The Patrick, lucky to escape with his life. That's why he skipped the country. But, uh, Craig... But? Who staged the rooming house fire and the burial of a bogus Sam Tracy? Somebody who wanted to permanently shut off police interest in Sam Tracy and in the 100 G. The men say, uh, you were supposed to be Rogers when you stalked me in the Museum of Murder and helped pull Crump apart at the scene. Ah, ha uh-huh. The beneficiary of the $100,000 was the thug who worked over you, eh? A thug who could only be one guy. Trav, your retired insurance dick. Sandy Dow. Sandy Dow. A guy I've got a date with before you have. On oh, now, Craig, don't be vindictive. Don't you be casual, Trav, about my head. Before you put the cuffs on Dowell, I'm handing him his cuffs, and that's for sure.
4: And before you two stalwarts of the law really go at it in earnest, will you tell me if I've got it down correctly? Uh-uh.
3: Some other time, we're we'll going to a huddle over your note. Mm-hmm. Just one footnote to murder. Dolly ordered that wax exhibit from Scala and invited me to come see it. It was her way of forcing Crump to come across by her museum.
4: The end? Almost.
3: All it needs now is the clinch.
4: The clinch, Barry?
3: Yeah, to keep your storyline straight. Page one, boy meets girl. End page, boy gets girl. Hmm. Oh. Uh, Trav. What? The moose, huh? But, uh... All of a sudden, Mona's got that certain primitive look in her educated eye.
4: Oh. Excuse me for being dense. Yeah, scram, Lieutenant. Please do not louse Craig up with the press.
3: <laughs> Good night, folks. See you next week.
2: You have been listening to William Gargan In another exciting transcribed mystery drama From the adventures of Barry Craig Confidential investigator Tonight's story, Murder in Wax Was written by John Robert Next week It's the strange story of the naughty necklace, about which Barry Craig has
3: this to say. Next week, I'll tell you how I was hired to buy a string of pearls, which was almost woven into a noose to hang me with.
2: in the role of Mona was Joan Alexander. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Fardo speaking. Now enjoy Meredith Wilson's Music Room on NBC. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential
3: investigator. The trouble with murder as an occupation, folks, is that it doesn't last very long. In no time at all, you come to a dead end.
2: National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
3: Barry Craig speaking. An investigator's license costs only a few bucks. When you're starting in the business, you've got ambition. So you have the license put under glass and framed. You spend a couple of hours deciding on the best place to hang it. Then you find out all you've done is bought yourself a front seat for the back stairs. But you also find out an awful lot of people use the back stairs. It's open. Craig? Yeah. You alone? They're a mice. Uh, they're tame, though. I uh, wonder if you're the man I'm looking for, Craig. You'll have to figure that out by yourself. It says confidential investigator on your door. I had that put on myself. Maybe I was boasting. Small place. Hmm. What's this door? Leads to the back stairs. Yes. You want to look under the desk, too? I have to be careful. How much money do you make a month? Not enough to have my clothes made by your tailor. Mm-hmm. I think that's sure you'll do. Thanks. This is what you'll work with. An envelope? Take a look inside. All right. Money. Count it? Uh-huh. 5000 Yes. I want you to buy a necklace for me, Craig. For $5,000? That's right. You got any preferences in necklaces? A girl named Wendy Harper has the one I want. She lives at the Beecham Towers Hotel. Maybe she's got more than one. I don't know. The necklace is pearl. You buy it from her, turn it over to me, and collect 500. You don't like the Beecham Towers Hotel? What's that got to do with You that? could go over there, buy the necklace yourself, and save my fee. I could also be sued for divorce. Meaning you can't afford to be seen with her. Fair enough. I'd like a receipt for the 5,000. Sure. Received from... From? You don't need that. How will I get in touch with him? I'll phone you. Okay. Your receipt. Thanks. I suggest you begin work at once. Right. One thing. Yes? Suppose she doesn't want to sell. She'll sell. You're sure the necklace is worth five grand? Yes, I should be. I gave it to her. I congratulated myself cautiously. A case a week like this, and I could start getting my clothes tailored, too. I locked the office door. Who knows? Word might get around I was a man people handed $5,000 to. It would give the entire building, all three moldering stories of it, class. Burglars might start dropping in. Oh, hello, Jake.
1: Hey, Mr. Craig.
3: Oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, I'm going down.
1: Don't rush it. The elevator's got to have time to rest
3: after the long pull.
1: Yeah, got to rest your horse at the end of a furrow, you know.
3: Jake, forget about that farm in Vermont, will you? You're in the big city now.
1: Oh, I'd rather have a horse. If you was in such a hurry, why didn't you walk down?
3: Too proud. I've just moved into the upper income brackets. That's so? all. Thanks. By the way, Jake, uh, did you notice the man you took down from my floor a couple of minutes ago? No. Had your nose buried in the farmer's almanac?
1: I didn't take nobody down.
3: Oh, well, that was my client. Who was? The man you didn't take down. I don't suppose you took him up either. No. Used the stairs both times. The back stairs, hmm? Jake. Yeah. When was the last time those back stairs were swept?
1: I don't know. I've only been here six months. Yeah. Mr. Craig. What? Must get kind of lonely up there on the third floor.
3: Sort of. Why?
1: Oh, just wondering. You sure you had a client?
3: I smiled at Jake. I could feel the fat envelope in my pocket. $5,000 carries a lot of conviction. Sir? Miss Harper. shes she expecting you? Phone up to her and she will be. Yes, sir. The name? Craig. Uh, one moment, sir. Miss Harper? Uh, there's a gentleman here to see
1: you. Uh, Mr. Craig. Yes, of course, Miss Harper. Uh, 407. Miss
3: Harper's expecting you. Thanks. The Beecham Towers was a lot nicer looking than the building on 23rd. But then I didn't use the back stairs. Miss Harper, I figured, was leaving it all up to me. 407 was a suite. You walked past the small foyer before you hit the living room. It was a nice living room. The furniture was modern and bright. There was a wrong note, though Miss Wendy Harper. She was on the couch. She looked modern and bright, too. The wrong note? She happened to be dead. Her eyes were open. For a minute, I had the impression they were looking at me. I couldn't decide if they liked what they saw or if they were looking over my shoulder the way I should have looked. for you. Now, you're in my way. You're not coming in. Now, listen. The old lady in the next suite heard a woman screaming from here. When? A few minutes ago. She needs new batteries for a hearing aid. What time is it? 7.30. Nobody screamed in here for at least a couple of hours. Where's Miss Harper? She's in. I want to talk to her. You're going to be disappointed. Miss Harper's in no mood for conversation. I'd like her to tell me that. Lots of things we'd like just never happen. Hey, hey, what's the idea? You want to get in here, take my advice, call a cop. Hey! I slammed the door shut in Clancy's face. Clancy was guessing. He wasn't sure. Maybe I was just a boyfriend with a temper. He stand around and wondered what to do for a while before trying to come into the room again. That gave me time enough to go through the suite. Make sure it was empty. Make sure Miss Harper was still dead. She was. They don't come alive very often. And then check on a pearl necklace. There wasn't one around. I hadn't figured there would be. By that time I was in a hurry. This time, I was the one for the back stairs. I was picking up time with every step I took. But time for what? The back door led to an alley. I had ash cans for company. A man named Nothing, whom no one had seen, for a client. And a crude frame-up for murder as a future. I had no optimism about my chances for playing tag with the homicide squad. The cops had a name for me. I had no name for the man who'd sent me to visit the dead girl. No name, no lead, nothing but a hope. That whoever had set up the deal would be too impatient to wait for the morning papers. Up the street, the Marines were coming. I said goodbye to the alley before they could land, made the other side of the street, and waited. waited. The hotel was on a quiet street. No crowds. Nobody watched the cops pour into the hotel. Nobody but me and a small man pretending he was part of a doorway down the street. The last cop went into the hotel, and the small man abandoned the doorway. He didn't know it, but he had me for company. It was easy. The small man wasn't worrying. According to the general idea, I was being interviewed by a dozen cops at the moment. He led me across town with no trouble. The address was 5413 East 79th Street. The house was old. The ivy on its walls was probably hand-picked. The small man used the servant's entrance. I decided to be formal. A brass plate under the doorbell read John Peter Kendall. I thought he'd be surprised to see me on his doorstep. I was surprised. Yes? Uh, Mrs. Kendall?
7: I'm Mrs. Kendall. Good. Uh, I think you your You're
3: excused. Better shut the door.
7: Are you a salesman? <laughs>
3: Not exactly.
7: Well, you're big enough, heavens knows, but you don't look very dangerous. So?
3: Thank you. Uh, Mr. Kendall home?
7: I don't think so. I, I don't know.
3: I guess it is a pretty large house.
7: <laughs> it is. Also, John and I don't get on very well together. So why am I telling you this?
3: Maybe because I look reliable and a little stupid. That's silly. It's
7: not very hospitable keeping you out here in the hall.
3: It's not. But
7: uh, I intend to continue doing it unless you can give me a reason. For your being here, I mean.
3: I do insurance work. Oh? Your husband hired me to trace some property of his.
7: He must have been very anxious about it if he asked you to come here at this hour.
3: He was anxious. Strange. Why?
7: Dear John has so much property.
3: Oh, well, this was something special.
7: And, uh, confidential? It used to be. What does that mean?
3: Lost any pearl necklaces recently, Mrs. Kendall?
7: Why, yes, I did.
3: That's what he wanted me to trace.
7: Oh. Please come with me, Mr. Uh... Jones. Jones. Wait here a moment. All right. Mr. Jones. Yes? This is the necklace I lost.
3: It looked like five grand, too. Mrs. Kendall, her price tag wasn't showing.
7: Well, Mr. Jones...
3: When did you get it back?
7: John brought it to me, perhaps an hour ago.
3: An hour ago? Then he is home.
7: He said he might go out for a stroll. I didn't try to translate. A stroll in John's peculiar vocabulary could mean almost anything.
3: You asked him where he got the necklace?
7: No. I assumed he'd hired someone like you to find it for him. Mr. Jones. Yes? What are you really after?
3: Will you see if your husband's home, please?
8: All right.
5: Mr. Jones. What? Are you sure you're doing something for my husband?
6: Not to him.
3: She didn't wait for an answer. It was very still in the Kendall home. I wondered how well Kendall had covered his relationship to Wendy Harper. Pretty well, I thought. There were no cops around. Mrs. Kendall was taking a long time. Too long a time.
6: Mrs. Kendall! Mrs.
3: Kendall! Where's the light? No, no, we might shoot again.
7: Never mind. It's gone. The light switched. The wall to your left. Okay. Oh, fright. So fright. Shh. So what? I, I, I was talking to Max. He's our handyman. I, I'd asked him about John.
3: That's Max over there?
7: Yes. Max started to tell me something about, oh, it's crazy, about a hotel. When John opened the door, he, he'd been listening. He had a gun. It was dreadful.
3: Here, sit down. I'll have to take a look at Max.
7: All right. Why, I, I don't know he had been there or seen something. He was staring at me as though he were terrified. And, and then the door opened behind him. I could see John's face. And after that, the shots came.
3: You'll have to phone the police. I... Yeah, I can't stay. I've got a date. Mrs. Kendall, where would your husband go if he didn't want to be found?
7: John, I don't know. I don't know. You must
3: know. A man as wealthy as he is...
7: Well, he's got a place on the Sound. It's only a shack, sort of a boathouse. What's the address? Riverview Road, right off the parkway. I'll
3: find it. You'll be all right. The police Mr. will... Mr.
7: Jones, why was Max shot?
3: Why? <laughs> My benefit, mostly.
7: Your benefit?
3: Yeah. His death moves me right out of the chair.
7: I don't understand. You don't
3: have to, for right now. I've got an errand to run, to convey thanks and make a payment. <laughs>
4: Hey, Bud. Yeah? Kind of late to be driving out to the sound, ain't it? You mind? Nah, yeah, I don't mind. As long as you got the fare.
3: I've got the fare. Only reason I brung it up is uh, not many cars going out this way this time of night. Yeah, I guess so. So the uh, car behind us must be tailing us. Car behind?
4: Yeah. Been there the last half an hour. It's got one headlight weaker than the other. Kind of stuck in my mind.
3: Don't worry about it.
4: I don't want no trouble.
3: There won't be any for you. Riverview Road, bud. that the shack up ahead? Yeah. The other car. Didn't swing around a fence Was with us up until then. Nice. How much do I owe you? A couple of bucks. Here you are. Thanks. How about me hanging around for a while? No, it might discourage my friend. The guy on your tail? Uh-huh. Good night. Good night. Who's that? Craig. Barry Craig. Recognize the name, Mr. Kendall?
2: Uh, what do you want?
3: Hard talking through a door... Don't try anything, Craig. You don't need that gun. Let's not agree about that. It's cold out here. Come in. Slowly. Thanks. Over there at the table. Sit down. Okay. Put both hands on the table, please. Everybody knows all the angles nowadays. Except maybe me. Why did you come out here? I had a report to make. Report? Sure, don't you remember? You hired me. Oh, well, I... Funny thing. Nine times out of ten, people who hire me don't expect me to believe them. Or to carry out their orders exactly the way they gave them. They're always working on an angle. What's so funny about that? I always believe my clients. I do my best to carry out their orders the way they say they want them to be. That gets me into more trouble. You're wasting time. And you don't have much time left? You... You said you had a report to make. Sorry. That necklace you hired me to get. Well... Back in your wife's possession.
2: You you gave it to her?
3: No, you did. It's a little late for jokes. No jokes. You can check with your wife. Not only that, Mr. Kendall, the whole deal worked out a lot cheaper than you expected. What do you mean? $5,000 is a lot of money. One girl's life, a lot cheaper. You've still got the money? Yeah. Now, don't reach. Stop being so nervous. I was just getting this. $5,000. And Wendy, what do you think? Well, I don't understand what you mean. He's had time enough to get here, so I'd better get rid of this lake. Oh, your, your gun, Kendall, I'll need it. Don't move around, Kendall. It's dark in here. Our mystery man outside hasn't got artillery on a revolver. We're safer right now. Well, I don't know what's happening. Shut up. He's moving around, waiting. We can wait, too. For, for what? He's got to make up his mind. If we're dead or not, he'll have to check. Till then, let's chat, huh? A man comes into my office, hands me five grand, instructs me to buy a pearl necklace from a girl in a hotel. Shh. I don't... It's my story. The guy uses the back stairs, doesn't leave his name. I take the dough, get to the hotel, walk into the girl's suite, and get knocked out. The girl is dead.
6: Yes, but you I didn't... You keep
3: interrupting. I wake up to find the old lady next door has heard a woman scream and yelled for the house dick. He's at the door. He's supposed to walk in, find the dead girl, and me with 5,000 bucks in cash on me. He calls homicide. I tell my story to them. How do you think they go for it? I don't know. I, I, I don't... Don't know. overdo it. It's plain enough. My client is a work of the imagination, they say. I knock the girl off her a dough. Very simple and very pretty. Well, then... Then who is that outside? When I got to the hotel, I had to be announced. The clerk called upstairs. He held a conversation with Miss Harper. He told me she said it was okay to go on up. But Wendy Harper was already dead. Well, then... Then... Shh! Junior's making his bid. Okay, drop it. What? I said drop it, Junior! You got the moonlight behind you?
6: No!
3: I don't like it, but that a match, Kendall? Uh, yes, yes, I have. Let's have a light then, huh? Oh. All right. Over here. Yeah, the hotel clerk. He's registered his last guest, death. John Peter Kendall didn't have any comments to make. He stared at the dead clerk as though he'd never seen a corpse before. Maybe he hadn't. He was my client, wasn't he? Let's get out of here. Yes, but what about him? He's dead. Well, isn't there something we should do? There's nothing you do about the dead. Well, I mean, he was killed. Yeah? Well, the police... You're in the clear on this particular death. What are you worrying about? I suppose you know better than I. Also, I've got the gun, so... Uh... All right. Yeah. Clutch cars out here. How about yours?
2: I came here by cab.
3: That can be checked. I still say I came here by cab. Okay, we'll borrow the car. Hold it. That's on this road. The police. Sounds like them. Of course, they could be on their way to a ball. Would you like to stay and chat with them? No, no. No, there, there, there are too many things. And I, I'm confused. Where's Riverview Road leads? To the city. I mean the other way. Well, it sort of, sort of peters out about a half mile from here. No good. They take one look at the cops and come after us. With the road a dead end only a half mile away, we'd be finished. Come on. Well, we, we could drive toward the city. You think they'd let us pass if they're heading here? Forget it. We leave the car where it is. Who planted these trees? I had them put there. Oh, good for you. You should have planted them a little more thickly, however. We get in among them. Ah, this ought to be good enough. For any search would blind us? Sure. But maybe... Uh-oh, here they come. A squat car and a taxi. Yeah, the cab I came out in. The driver spotted the clerk tailing me. He must have hung around down the road and heard the shots, then went back to town and collected police. Well, they've checked the car. Empty. Now for the house. In a half dozen seconds, they'll be popping out of there looking for us. Come on. Whatever. Maybe we can make the cab. The driver left it out in the road proper. What good does that do? The, the, the squad car? Don't worry about that. Get into the cab and start it. All right. Me, I'm going to be nasty to a tire. Yeah. Get going. Fine. Well, what did you do? Screwed a tire valve open on the squad car. The clerk's car is blocked off. So they'll have to change the tire. Maybe we'll have enough time. The police won't like it. How very true. You know, Mr. Kendall, I'm in trouble. Not only am I wanted for murder, but now for committing a nuisance on police
6: property. Mm.
3: We weren't close enough to hear the cops discuss their flat tire. I think their language would have been frightful. Hey, take it easy, Mr. Kendall. We don't want a ticket, too. We're almost back in the city. Where do you want to go? Home and sleep, but not just yet. Well then let's make it your home, huh? My home? The mansion you and your wife play hide and seek in. Except both of you seem to be hiding rather than seeking. If you don't mind, I could do without your wit. So could I if I had any. Mr. Kendall. Yes? The whole thing started with a necklace, a pearl necklace. That's right. You didn't bother telling me it had belonged to your wife before you passed it on to Wendy Harper. It hadn't belonged to my wife. Then why all the anxiety about getting it back? Well, she found out about it through the jeweler where I bought it. I had to pretend I'd gotten it for her as a surprise. That meant you had to get it back from Wendy. It would have looked bad in a divorce case. And Wendy wouldn't part except for five grand. That's right we have to? We do? Come on. Better not ring. Your handyman wouldn't answer. Max? He's dead, too. What? Use your key. Why, I I can't take much more of this. There won't be much more. Go on. Hello, Mrs. Kendall. Uh, Mr. Craig, uh, Mr.
7: Jones, and John.
3: You started to say Mr. Craig. What? The name is Craig. Where are the cops?
7: The, oh, about Max. Yeah. Well, I I haven't phoned them yet. I was ill after you left. Terribly ill. I still don't feel right.
3: That hotel clerk doesn't feel right either.
7: What hotel clerk? You sound like, like Max.
3: The one who sent me up to Wendy Harper's room. The one who had a conversation with Wendy Harper after she was dead.
7: This is all completely, completely... Isn't it? John, what's happening? Why are you staring at me like that?
3: He doesn't love you anymore. Oh, you! No, no, no. Let's keep it genteel. Kendall? Yes? Call some cops, huh? Police? Yeah. They want to take Max to the morgue. Max who led me to your wife and died for it. And even more, they'll want your wife. <laughs> been a long evening. I'd stayed ahead of homicide for a while, but they always catch up. Craig. hey well, Lieutenant Trev Rogers. Give me one good reason why your license shouldn't be revoked. Mrs. Joanne Kendall. I said a good reason. What else could I have done, Trav? You're not trying to tell me you were afraid of the frame. I never tried to tell a lieutenant of homicide anything. No, I wasn't. But I had a job to do. I got it done, too. You could have been killed in the process. Oh, there's a law against that. Oh. Craig, we got the whole thing laid out. The Kendall woman moved in on what looked like a perfect opportunity to get rid of Wendy Harper, frame you for the killing, and have a club over her husband's head for the rest of his life. Because he'd hired you, all she had to do was threaten to tell us about that, and he'd be tied in. Well, where did you get the bright idea it was Mrs. Kendall who set you up and not her, her husband? Clancy, the house dick at the Beecham Towers. Huh? He came up and told me an old lady had heard a woman scream a couple of minutes before I regained consciousness. The Harper girl had been dead for hours then. So it had to be Mrs. Kendall screaming. You get Clancy up and you arrested. Mm Mm-hmm. Come on. Buy me a beer. Well, we'll go out and have beers, but what makes you think it's going to be on me? You just made 500 bucks, remember? Holy smokes. What now? I forgot to collect. Good night, folks. See you next week.
2: You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, The Case of the Naughty Necklace, was written by Lou Vittes. Next week, it's the strange story of Paper bullets, about
3: which Barry Craig has this to say. Next week, folks, I find out that words can be bullets when two prize-winning authors do their literary best to prove the gun is mightier than the pen. See you next week, folks.
2: Featured in the role of Mrs. Kendall was Barbara Weeks. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking. Now enjoy Meredith Wilson's Music Room on NBC.
1: That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.